Okay, um, so tonight in my 19 minutes, I'm going to fly through this. This is great. Uh, in my 19 minutes, what I want to talk about tonight as we close out the pursuit of happiness is we've been doing such a great job of um, giving practical ways. And, and I, I know that each and every one of you are doing them because I had such a great opportunity to talk to all of you. And everybody has kind of really started to find their things. You know, my dad has been talking nonstop about the active rest that we talked about and, and having fun and doing things to enjoy life and, and not just like sitting on the couch, but doing things to really have life experience. And so I know that each and every one of us are doing these amazingly practical things. Um, and I believe that God created our physical body, our mind, our will, our emotions, our intellect, our bodies, all, all those things to respond to these practical things that work in order to create an environment in us where we're able to de-stress and get rid of the anxiety and the worry and the nervousness. But as we close tonight, I wanted to take a little bit of time um, to bring us back to our center, because yes, there are all the things that we can do practically, and there are so many amazing things that we can read about in blogs and that we can do, and you can read studies and research. But I wanted to come back to our center, which is the, the deep understanding that the, very, the thing that makes us happy is living a life with Jesus, okay? The one thing in the world where people can do all the right things but not experience the results is, I so often think about the scripture in the Bible where it talks about that a man builds his house on the sand versus the man who builds his house on the rock. And how you could do all the right practices and have all the right rituals and you can do all the things that the books and the studies tell you to do. But when those things aren't built on a foundation of the word of God, it's so easy for those practices to crumble under the pressures of life. And we watch as people around the world are living a roller coaster existence where the outcome of their emotional state is determined entirely by the situation that they're walking through. Okay? And I, I, as I always think about it, and I love practical things, like I say, because they work and I love applying them to my life, I realize that a life outside of a life lived in the presence of God with Jesus, we're destined to live on a roller coaster. Because can I tell you, there are some things that you can't undo. There are some things that no amount of, of active rest or positive thinking, when you get a diagnosis from a doctor that says you have 30 days left to live, there's only one thing that you can stake your life on, and that's the word of God. When you've gone to all the marriage counselors and you've done all the right things and you've taken all the right classes and still you get served with those divorce papers, there's only one thing that you can rely on and that's the word of God. And having to rely on the word of God, I have news, is an amazing place to be because the Bible tells us that God always honors his word. It tells us countless times through the lives of prophets and through the life of Jesus himself that words that they spoke, there was not a single word that was spoken that ever fell and hit the ground. Everything that was spoken was accomplished. And so I realized if there's anything that I'm going to build my life on, I want to build my life on the word of God. Because the reality is, is that things in life are going to happen. I can remember a time in my life, a few years ago, it was probably, I don't know, a long time ago, 12 years ago now, 
Um, we were going on a guy's trip um, from our church. We were going on a guy's trip. We were going to go over to Navy Island. It's the island that's kind of on just literally right before the Niagara Falls, basically. It goes, you know, Canada, then Navy Island, then the States, and then Niagara Falls is right here. And every year um, we would do this before. You can't, I don't think you can camp there now, but every year historically we would take a guy's trip and we would go and we would camp on Navy Island. And the way that we would get across, because it's an island, is, is we would take my dad's boat. Okay. Now at this point in time, I was probably around 22 or 23, 23. I was basically at the pinnacle of trying to prove to everybody how much of a man I was, right? All the guys know what I'm talking about, right? We know that we hit that point where, you know, you kind of build up to it. And then you have this point where you need to make sure that everybody knows how manly you are. Okay. And so I can remember I was the guy at this point that I wanted to drive the boat because I wanted every guy to know how skilled I was at driving a boat. There's a weird thing with guys and driving. And so I wanted everybody to know how good of a boat driver I was. And so I was the shuttle guy going back and forth, back and forth. And, and I can remember at one point I'm doing it, it's going successfully. And at one point, you know, I want to just show them not how good of a boat driver I am, but I want to show them just how ripped I am because I've been working out at the gym. And so I stop really quickly to just lay in the middle of the water. I take my shirt off and I go to lay there and I'm just like floating along. And one of the guys says to me, hey, we should probably go because the boat is getting scarily close to the Niagara Falls. And I'm kind of like playing it off, right? Because at this point, I'm still trying to prove to them how much of a man I am. And so I let the boat float a little bit further to show that even the Niagara Falls does not make me afraid. <laughs> now, unfortunately, what happens is at this point is I must have forgot to turn something off or I accidentally turned something on and I go to turn the boat over. And what do you know? The boat she don't want to start. And at this point, I'm really trying to keep it cool because I've really been working hard to prove to everybody how much of a man I am. But at that point, the inner little boy comes out and I start flipping out. I'm panicking because the boat is not going to start. I don't actually know how to drive a boat or anything about boats. And so if this thing is going over the falls, there's absolutely nothing. I, in fact, I'm like planning my evacuation route of how I'm somehow going to swim now against the current of the Niagara Falls because I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely sure that this boat is going over the Niagara Falls. I throw the anchor into the water, but at this point I'm caught so intensely in the current that it's literally, the current is dragging the anchor along the sandy bottom. There's literally nothing I can do to stop this. Finally, we're digging through and we find a radio that's like deep in the, like the glove box of the boat and we radio into the Coast Guard and, and we're like, you know, I'm like, Ugh, uh, please, oh, uh, uh, please, uh, please help, help, help me. Because I am... I'm freaking out on the inside, okay? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we're going to come. We're going to be good. It's going to be there. And I'm like, thank God we're saved. <laughs> like five minutes goes by and 10 minutes goes by and no one has showed up to get us. And so I call back and this time I, I can't hide the fact that I'm freaking out because this is my dad's boat. It's not even my boat. 
I'm 23. I can't afford to buy my own boat. And so I'm about to let my dad's boat go over the Niagara Falls. And I, I'm like, please, please come and help me. Like, I'm just absolutely panicked as this is happening. I'm like, got my life jacket on. I'm ready, this, I'm ready to bail and swim. And finally, you know, thank God the Coast Guard gets there and they tow me over. They thought it was a girl on the radio. I had to let them know that it was that I'm actually a guy. It was just I had something stuck in my throat and so it was high pitched. But I realized, you know, maybe you've never had, you know, a weird thing in your life where you were going to go over the falls. But each and every one of us faces situations where it's easy to see the problem and difficult to see the promise. In fact, I've been reading about it scientifically about all these things that, in fact, nowadays, science says that essentially everything that we experience in life is neutral. That really everything, nothing in life is inherently like good or bad. It's technically neutral. That the way that we respond to 99% of our situations is entirely driven by the perspective that we have of that situation. That you could put two people in the very same situation and have those two people respond radically different even though they find themselves in the same situation. In fact, when we talk about like the the percentages for how people stay happy, only 10% of your happiness is based off of your situation compared to 50% of what, uh, what causes you to feel happy or not is based off of your perspective. And so we realize that inherently the situations in our life should not have the ability to positively or negatively affect us. I realize that it's entirely developed around my perspective of how I perceive what's going on in my life. And so I began to think about this question as we're getting ready to close out is, is what do I do? Because I find that a lot of people eventually get to this place, maybe not in every situation that you go through, but each and every one of us will get to this point in some situation is, what do I do when I've done all the stuff in order to be happy, but I still feel like I'm sinking? Because I think that we all get there. I think there are some situations that we encounter where it feels as though it's easy for us to just do something and, 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 you know, force our way to happiness. But each of us, and I can guarantee you that each of you in this room right now have a situation that you have been pushing up against and pushing up against and pushing up against that where it would feel as though no matter how hard or how much pressure you assert against this thing, it still wakes you up in the middle of the night and makes you feel as though you're sinking. And this is a lot, I feel like, in the life of Peter. We see this very same example in Peter's life. In this particular passage in Matthew chapter 14, we meet him as he's on the Sea of Galilee and there's a storm that's happening. Now in Matthew chapter 14, they had just fed the 5,000. It's one of the accounts of Jesus feeding the 5,000 men or plus women and children. So we say it could be upwards of 20 or 25,000 people Jesus feeds the multitudes of people with just a small boy's lunch. And right after that, it just basically says that the crowds are thronging Jesus, and Jesus escapes for a little while to pray. 
But he sends his disciples to go on ahead to kind of prepare the next place that they're going to be. And so he sends them sailing across the Sea of Galilee where Jesus stays on land and goes up to the mountain and prays. And when the disciples get to the middle of the Sea of Galilee, it says that a violent storm arises. Now, I was on the Sea of Galilee a couple of months ago. And it's really, it's, it, it, it's kind of like a large pond. And so the idea that there's a violent storm, I feel as though maybe the disciples embellished the story slightly, or maybe they weren't used to ever sailing on the ocean to actually see what a real storm was. Like, maybe it was like a little bit choppy, and they're like, oh my God, we're going to die. And it's just like, chill out, guys. Like, it's just a little choppy. But nonetheless, as the writer recounts, this great storm breaks out over the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples are absolutely panicking. And as we pick up in Matthew chapter 14, it says this, Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. It's the uh, artistic interpretation, I would say, at that point, but nonetheless. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once and said, don't be afraid. He said, take courage. I am here. Verse 28 says, then Peter called to him and said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come walk, come to you walking on the water. Jesus said, yes, come. And so Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong winds and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. Jesus said, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? So this is what's happening is they see Jesus. Jesus hadn't been with them. It says about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus comes and he's walking on the water. Now, logically, you would not think, oh, hey, there's Jesus. Because as we know, walking on the water isn't a common thing that we do as humans. And so when you see the shape of something walking along the water, the only logical explanation would be, it's a ghost, okay? And so they see it, and they're like, oh my gosh, there's a guy walking on the water. It's a ghost. He's walking right towards us. And as they're saying that, Jesus hears them and says, don't be afraid. It's just me. At this point, I feel like if, if, if I knew that my friend was walking on the water, I wouldn't just be like, oh, oh, it's, it's Jesus. I, I feel as though there would be a little bit, I feel like even still, it would be, I would rather have seen a ghost floating along the water than a guy walking on the water because walking on the water is rather a strange occurrence in life. But nonetheless, they see Jesus, he's walking on the water and Peter responds to him, if it's you, bid me to come. And so Jesus says, Come. And Peter walks out on the water and he walks with them. And and this is what I think about in this story is that even taking one step on the water would have been amazing. Would it not? I mean, what an act of amazing faith would Peter have had in order to defy the very laws of nature and take just one step on the water? And we know that it's the, the scripture says that he takes a couple of stacks and he's walking towards Jesus. And in my head, I'm thinking at this point, Jesus should be praising Peter. Like, 
the ability for Peter to walk on the water to Jesus would have been the absolute overwhelming evidence that what he was teaching them was you're actually getting it. Right? It's like I think about Lola. When Lola actually just started walking on Saturday, yay for Lola, she, my only objective in life for her to this point was that she needed to walk before one, and she loves daddy enough that she walked before she was one. So God bless you, baby. May your life be full of making daddy proud. It, it's like when I think about Lola as she starts walking, that even one step is like, I recorded it and I'm getting it from different angles and we like needed to do it a hundred times so that I can make sure that I get all the different angles so that I record this momentous moment where she takes just one step. Now, not one step on the water, just one step on the ground. And it always bothered me, this scripture, because Jesus sees Peter and he walks on the water, this amazing demonstration of his belief in Jesus and the word of God. He walks on the water and starts to sink, which to me, I expect Lola to fall when she walks. And so I'm sure that, Je I'm thinking, Jesus, surely you would have expected Peter, like this is going to take a couple of tries. You know, you're going to get it and you're going to be like, oh my God, I'm walking on the water and you're going to start freaking out and you're going to sink a little. And it bothered me in this, this story is that Jesus' response to Peter isn't to like pull him up and hug him and high five him and, you know, run along the boat, you know, just high fiving everybody. And this is the, ex the, the expression that I would expect a guy like Jesus to have had. But instead, Jesus responds to him with basically the ultimate of Christian burns. Oh, ye of little faith. And man, I got to tell you, that bummed me out about Jesus because I feel like, you know, you're the love guy. You're the acceptance guy. You're the guy who died so that I could feel good and be loved and get to heaven. And it was like the two realities just were not coming together for me. And the more that I began to think about it, I realized that Jesus is smarter than me. I had to snap back to reality and remember that Jesus is smarter than me. And so if I'm being challenged by something, it's in me. It's not in Jesus. And so as I began to think about it, I began to realize, what if Jesus didn't care about the walking on the water? Because, you know, as we live our life, we can be and we are typically so driven and drawn to respond to situations, respond to outcomes, respond to success and failure, respond to kind of the way things pan out. And we base our reactions on whether we feel as though we've done good or we've done bad. And it was funny how even my interpretation of the scripture was that Jesus, when he was saying, oh, ye of little faith, he was actually bummed out at Peter because he sank. But I realized something is that Jesus is not outcome driven. In fact, scripturally, we know many times the Bible tells us that God is absolutely unimpressed by the outside. He's not moved whatsoever by what is going on, on the outside, but the Bible says that God judges the heart. He's interested in the motives. He's interested in the driving factors behind why we do and feel and say what we do and feel and say. 
And so as I began to step back and think about this scripture, I realized that maybe Jesus wasn't talking about sinking at all. Maybe when he said, oh, ye of little faith, he was referring to the fact that he thought that Jesus would let him sink. Because isn't that what it says in the scripture? It says in verse 30, it says this, but when he saw the strong winds and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink and exclaimed out of fear, save me. As if his expectation would have been that Jesus would have allowed him to drown. I began to think about maybe my interpretation of the scripture where I thought that what was disappointing to Jesus was the fact that Peter sank instead of realizing that maybe what was disappointing to Jesus was the fact that Peter thought he would let him sink. I think that as we have this moment with Jesus where we're just coming off of this phenomenal miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000, I mean, essentially, every moment that Jesus knew Peter, Jesus was doing miraculous things all the time. It was as if Jesus went into every impossible situation, and not only did he have an answer, he had a solution. We look at the wedding, we look at Lazarus, we look at the lepers, we look at the lunches, And we realize that Jesus has a solution. He's got a miracle for every situation. And I began to think about this passage of scripture and say, you know, we just come off of this amazing moment. Like the guys in the boat must have been riding on a high. You know, because I know that, like, even if we just have like a great worship moment and it's like the room is just caught up in the presence of God and things are happening and people are cheering. It's like you get off of that moment and you're just like buzzed. You know, it's like I need to be up for three more hours because I just need to like, it's going to take me some time to just chill out right now because I'm just high on what God is doing. And so I can imagine these guys are high on what God has done. Like they were riding the wave that this is the inner crowd. Like we hang out with the guy who just did the miracle, right? And I'm sure that they were having a great time. And then we have this interaction with Peter as Peter sinks, shout, save me, Jesus. And Jesus, I would imagine the thought, you know, like Pete, dude, like didn't you... Like, I just, fed, I just did an amazing miracle for these people who I honestly don't know. <laughs> and you, like, you're my dude. You're my, you're my boy. Like, we're together. Like, we're like, this, we're like this. You still think that I would feed them and I wouldn't save you. I think that when we read the scripture, I think that what Jesus is trying to help us to understand is that Jesus isn't judging us for our failures. Is that Jesus so desperately wants us to understand his nature of how he is willing to be with us and save us and comfort us and help us in any situation that we would find ourselves in. And I think that as we close out the pursuit of happiness... I think if there's anything that I would desire to get into you, to get into myself, is a deep understanding 
that it doesn't matter what we go through. Doesn't matter how bad it seems. Doesn't matter what the people have said to you. Doesn't matter if no one has ever been able to do it before. We serve a God who makes the impossible possible. Because one of the things I know is this, and I love this scripture, and I say it all the time, so forgive me if you've heard me say it a hundred times. I'm going to say it 101. In Psalm 23, I love the scripture, how Jesus says, he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. I always want him to lead me around. Or I want to soar with wings as eagles over top of the valley of the shadow of death. Or, Lord, hide me in your heart and carry me hand in hand as we... But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. Which means there's times in our life where we're going to feel... We're going to feel the pressure, the strain. We're going to feel the opportunity to worry or to fear. But just like Peter in this situation, we have a moment in every situation that we face where we have to remember the nature of our Heavenly Father. I love the scripture that tells us that God will never let anything come on you that he hasn't already made a way of escape. I love it how he tells us that he'll never let us or allow us to go through something that would have the ability to take us out or to defeat us. But I would love even more if that was my everyday reality. I would love for us to be able to face situations, issues, circumstances, problems, relationship things, physical things, and view each and every one of those things through a lens that the very fact that I'm here means that there's a way out. Can I tell you, it's a funny thing that happens when I'm floating towards the Niagara Falls and I see the Coast Guard in the distance. You notice that? It's like one moment you go from absolute panic to like, oh yeah, there they are. We, we, we didn't need them, but like, yeah, come on, come on. It's funny how when I know that help is there, yeah, that's good. how my perspective, of, I didn't have to try to change my perspective. It was as if all the nervousness, all the fear, all the anxiety, all the worry, when I saw that Coast Guard boat ride towards me, it was as if all my problems had been solved. I began to think about life in this lens, is that we serve a God who has all the answers for every problem that we're ever going to face. In fact, the Bible says that he's mapped out every single one of our steps and already knows the exact steps to take in order to get through every situation we need to get through just and live on this amazing life of peace and security. But when my focus isn't on that thing, when my focus is on the storm, right? We see the disciples having this interaction all the time with Jesus. The storm rises and they freak out and the storm rises and they're mad at Jesus because he's sleeping. And they're like, Jesus, don't you care about us? 
And he's like, Jesus, I'm sinking. Don't you, won't you save me? And I realize Jesus' response is always like, How, don't you know my nature yet? Don't you know what I would do for you? Don't you realize what I'm here for? And I think that as we close out the pursuit of happiness this year, I think the key to happiness is, yes, the exercises. Do the breathing and do the meditation and do the active rest and the passive rest and do the community and do all the things that we've talked about doing. But if you forget all the things, when you face a situation, choose to see the Savior rather than see the storm. Choose to see Jesus as bigger than your problem. Because when we make Jesus big, our problems seem small. And sometimes at first it's going to take time. Because sometimes we spend a lot of our effort worrying about the bills. And so maybe right now your bills seem a lot bigger than Jesus. And that's okay. But what we have to start doing is when I start to feel that nervousness or that anxiety, I got the picture of G Peter in my mind as he's sinking. And he's like, Lord, save me. And Jesus is like, duh, Peter. Obviously, I'm going to save you. God, you're so annoying, right? <laughs> and then I see a picture of the disciples in the boat. And they're like, Jesus, wake up. We're going to die. Don't you care about us? And he's like, God, you guys, I'm trying to sleep. You're so annoying. Right? Because of course Jesus is going to save. Of course he's going to help us. Of course he's going to rescue us. Of course he's got a plan for your marriage. Of course he's got healing for your body. Of course he's got finances for you. It's just a matter of us being able to sit back and realize, Jesus, you're just leading me through the valley. Like, I'm just following you. I realize I don't need to have all the answers. I don't need to know why this is happening or how it's happening. I don't need to know how it's going to work out or why it's going to work out the way it's going to work out. I've given up on trying to figure those things out. Jesus, all I'm going to do today is I'm just going to continue to follow you and trust that you're good. And it's amazing how Jesus just shows up in our life in impossible ways. Can I tell you something? Sometimes the biggest roadblock to our breakthrough is our own worry. Yeah. And when we can get that stuff out of the way and allow Jesus to remain big on the inside of us, I guarantee you, you're not going to have to fight to stay happy. You're not going to have to fight to stay satisfied. You're not going to have to fight away the anxiety. You're not going to have to fight away the worry. But when I have the perspective of heaven on the inside of me and I realize, Jesus, you are everything that I need. And in you is the miracle that's necessary to get me out of the solution. And so, Jesus, you're just like the Coast Guard. And I'm looking at you and I'm realizing I know the falls is right there and it's big, but I know Jesus, the Coast Guard is coming right for me and you're going to save me. So it doesn't matter how big the falls are. I know that my answer is on the way. When I do that, that's the pursuit of happiness. That's the pursuit of Jesus. That's the pursuit of what's going to create a life that we desire to live. So Heavenly Father, as we close out this series, we turn our attention to you. We know that you've created the systems and the structures. We know that you've done all the things. But Lord, we don't want to 
We're not trying to take one single step outside of your love. Not one step out of understanding your nature and your goodness, your love for us, your intention towards us. So tonight, Lord, we even do that in the few moments that we have right now. We look at our problems and we see them just shrinking in comparison to the perfect peace that you offer. That thing that they said could never be worked out. That thing that could never be fixed. We look at our failures, our pain, our problems, our traumas, and we see them just fade away in comparison to how big and good you are. And that's the truth. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fear. Because we know that we are your chosen ones. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. God bless you. We'll see you next Wednesday. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray your life was impacted by the service and that you were able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him but have been far from him. We want to give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross so that you and I could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. So if you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then repeat the simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and have been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. Help me believe in you and love you every day. Help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you just made to have Jesus as the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey, but most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we'd love to send you uh, with some easy steps on how to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you soon.